Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, hallowed, holy be your name. God, we pray this morning that you would empower us by your spirit to have the reverence and the awe and the worship and the gratitude and the splendor and the wonder at your name which you have called us to have. God, we would not tremble at your name unless your grace had first taught us how to fear. So God, we pray that you would cause us to tremble before your glorious name this morning and then to look to that same name for grace and mercy, the name of Jesus. We pray this for your glory. Amen. Well, let me invite you to turn in your Bibles to Exodus chapter 20. Pastor Lucas, who for the few short months that I have known him, has been such an encouragement and a help to me, has told me that you as a church family are going through the Ten Commandments, and he's asked me today to speak to you concerning the Third Commandment, which is found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. So let me invite you to turn there with me, and in the honor of the reading of God's Word, let's stand together as we read Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. This is what God has said to us. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not leave him unpunished who takes his name. In vain. Please be seated. May God bless us as we study his word together this morning. Oftentimes when we think about the third commandment, we think that this is the easiest one for us to keep. All we need to do is simply refrain from using God's name in a flippant way and we're good. So as long as we don't use God or Christ or Jesus, or Lord, in any type of irreverent way, then we have got this commandment down pat. This has given rise to a lot of expressions that comedian, Christian comedian Tim Hawkins calls Christian cuss words. So to keep from using God's name, we say things like, oh my gosh, oh my goodness, holy cow, holy smokes, good grief, all kinds of things like that. As long as we don't use the consonants and vowels, God, Lord, Christ, Jesus, in a way that's flippant, we think, okay, we've got this one down. Check it off the list. Nine more to go. But friends, I believe that the third commandment is one of the ones that we are most guilty of breaking. Not just those outside of the church, but we, we're Christians who take the name of Christ upon our very identity. This is one of the commandments that we are most guilty of breaking. Far from simply prohibiting that we pronounce certain consonants and vowels when we want to exclaim something, there is something much deeper, much more to the heart of this third commandment. If we were to translate this commandment literally, it reads, you shall not lift up 
or carry or bear the name of the Lord your God to vanity, to nothingness, to emptiness. So in other words, we are not to take the name of God and apply it to or attach it to something that he is not, that is empty of who he really is. This commandment reminds us that we who are Christians, those of us who identify by our very faith and union with Christ, that we carry, we bear the name of the Lord on our identity. When we say, this is who I am, when we say, I am a Christian, we are taking God's name as he has made it known in Christ upon ourselves. We are a people who are called by his name. And that's much more than just refraining from certain words in certain situations. Everything that we do, we are bearing the name of God. Every word that we say, we are saying something about God because we bear the name of Christ. And so God has commanded us here in his word that his name is to be used and it is to be applied with the full understanding and the full reverence of all that his name is and all that his name deserves. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God to nothingness, to emptiness. But what is the big deal about a name? Well, in our culture, names don't really have too much to do with telling other people something significant about ourselves. I mean, for the most part, our names don't really have that much meaning. So me and my lovely wife, Beth, whose name, by the way, means house. Don't apply that to her, please. We named our first daughter Madeline. Now, Madeline is the French form of the Greek word Magdalene, so Mary Magdalene in the Bible, and and the name means a high tower. Now, Magdala, Magdalene, Mary Magdalene, high towers, those, if you study those things, they're not going to tell you anything about my firstborn daughter. Names to us, they're just, they sound good to us, or, or maybe we want to honor somebody else that we have known or has come before, and so we apply their name to them. But that says more about that person than, than the one that we are actually naming. Names to us, they don't tell us very much about who the person is that bears that name. But throughout the Bible, naming reveals something about the person. You apply a name to something in order to tell you something about that individual. So in Exodus, Moses' name means to draw out because that tells us something about him, that he was drawn out of the water. Later on in the story in Exodus, Moses names certain places called Massa and Meribah, which mean struggle or contention, because at that place, the people strove and contended against God. Names tell us something about the person or the thing that we apply it to. Bruce Waltke is helpful here when he tells us that names in the ancient Near East provide insights into the nature and character and prospect and hope and destiny of the person bearing the name. He says a person's name is based closely with a person's existence, representing and expressing his or her character and personality. To learn a person's name is to enter into a relationship with that person. 
So when we know God's name, we know something about him. His name is synonymous with who he is. So when God says here, you're not to take my name and lift it up to nothingness, he's saying, you are to treat me and who I am and who I have made myself known to you to be with reverence and awe. Don't take who I am and apply it, lift it up to something that is empty of who I am. So what I want us to do this morning is I, I want to do two things. Number one, I want to look at, specifically in the book of Exodus, what has God made known to us about himself by the revelation of his name? That's number one. And number two, I want us to look at how do we today break this commandment? Two things. What does the name mean? What does God tell us about himself? And then what does that mean for us? Four things I want to point out, four texts, that God lets us know about who he is by letting us know his name. The first one, turn there with me, is found in Exodus chapter 9, verse 16. And what God tells us here is that his name is synonymous with his unique and his supreme glory. In other words, God has made his name known to us so that we might know that there is nobody else like him. That he is unique in holiness and awesomeness and power and splendor and glory and might. Let's look at this text together. Exodus chapter 9, starting verse 13. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Rise up early in the morning and stand before Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, that's his name, the God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. For this time I will send all my plagues on you. God has sent a few up to this point. So now he's going to send all of them and your servants and your people so that you may know that there is nobody like me in all the earth. For if by now I had put forth my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, you would then have been cut off from the earth. So in other words, if I wanted to, I could have wiped you out. Once fell swoop. But I didn't do that. Why? 16. But indeed, for this reason, I have allowed you to remain in order to show you my power and in order to proclaim my name through all the earth. So notice what he says here. To notice two key statements. He says, first of all, that the reason I sent my plagues on you is so that you will know that there's nobody else like me. And then he said, the reason that I didn't do it all at once, the reason I didn't just send one plague and just totally wipe you out, the reason I did it systematically, one plague after another after another, is so that I may one by one make known to everybody that I am completely and totally sovereign and more supreme and better and greater than anybody else on all the earth. He says, I want to make known that my name is great. There's nobody like me, nobody more powerful than me, nobody greater than me. I want my name to be exalted throughout the earth. So that's the first thing. God's name, he makes known his name so that we will know that there is nothing in all the earth that compares to him in glory, excellence, power, supremacy, and worth. Second text. Flip back with me to Exodus Chapter 3, starting in verse 10. 
This is God speaking here in verse 10. Therefore, come now, he's talking to Moses, and I will send you to Pharaoh so that you may bring my people, the sons of Israel, out of Egypt. But Moses says to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh and that I should bring the sons of Israel out of Egypt? And he said, certainly I will be with you. And there shall be the sign to you that it is I who have sent you. When you have brought the people out of Egypt, you shall worship God at this mountain. So God tells Moses here, I want you to go. I want you to bring out my people. And Moses says, well, who am I? And God says, it doesn't matter who you are. It matters who I am. You're going to go, but I'm going to be with you. I'm going to be the one who through you is going to bring my people out. It's not about who you are. It's about who I am. So then Moses' next question is understandable. He basically asks, well, then who are you? Look at verse 13. Then Moses said to God, Behold, I am going to the sons of Israel, and I will say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. Now they may say to me, What is his name? What shall I say to them? And the way that God answers is so interesting. He doesn't just tell them what his name is. He tells them the significance of his name. Look at verse 14. God said to Moses, I am who I am. And he said, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, I am has sent me to you. God furthermore said to Moses, thus you shall say to the sons of Israel, the Lord, Yahweh, Jehovah, the name that is derived from the verb that means I am. The God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever, and this is my memorial name to all generations. So he tells Moses, here, this is what you're to tell them. Here's who I am. But he doesn't just stop there. He tells them the significance of him being the God of their fathers. Look at verse 16. Go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, The Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, has appeared to me saying, I am indeed concerned about you. And all that has been done to you in Egypt. So I said, I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Amorite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite to a land flowing with milk and honey. So God says here, you want to know who I am? I am who I am. I am Yahweh. And what does that mean for you? It means I am concerned about you. I care about you. God makes known his name so that we might know that he cares about his people. He's concerned about all that troubles them. And he is going to act in history, act in reality to deliver them out of it. God's name doesn't just mean that he is the high and holy supreme God. It also means that he stoops down to care for his children. Let's look at the third thing. Flip over to Exodus chapter 33. Another text where God makes his name known to us. In Exodus chapter 33 and verse 13, Moses asks God if he can know God's ways so that he can know God. And in verse 18, Moses says, I plead with me, you. Show me your glory. I want to see you. I want to know who you are. I want to be intimate with all of your ways. And look how God responds in verse 19, Exodus 33, 19. 
And he said, I myself will make all my goodness pass before you and will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. So Moses says, God, I want to see you. I want to see your glory. I want to know you. I want to be intimate with you. And God says, well, here's my answer to that request. I'm going to let you know my name. My name tells you all that you need to know about me. And then we see the fulfillment of this down in chapter 34, verse 6. Moses says, show me your glory. The Lord says, I'm going to let you know my name. And then he says, in verse 6 of 34, Then the Lord passed by in front of him and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord God, compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in loving kindness and truth, who keeps loving kindness for thousands, who forgives iniquity, transgression, and sin. In the proclamation of God's name, God makes known to us that he is gracious, that he is willing to lay aside, to forgive and put away our sin in order to be in relationship with his people. God makes known to us that he's not a miserly old man who enjoys pointing fingers at others and keeping people he doesn't like out of heaven, but he is a God who desires all men from the ends of the earth to turn to him and be saved. He's a God who looks at sinful mankind and he does not desire that anyone should perish but that all would turn to him and live. He says, look, I know that you're sinful. I'm willing to to deal with that. I'm gracious. I'm compassionate. I am loving. I am kind. I am willing to forgive, to pass away all the sin. I want you to come to me. The revelation of God's name is I want to know you and I'm going to do whatever it takes to take care of what needs to be taken care of so that we can know each other. God's name says, I know that you're a sinner. I know that there is a separation between us, but I'm willing to cross the gap. I'm willing to come to you. I'm willing to lay aside all that stands between us because I want to know you. I'm gracious. I'm compassionate. I am loving. So God's name tells us that he's holy. It tells us that he cares about us and what's going on and the distress that we're in. It tells us that he is gracious and compassionate, willing to forgive iniquity and transgression and sin so that he can know us. The fourth thing is in just the next verse. God does proclaim that his name means that he is gracious and compassionate. But verse 7 also tells us, yet he will by no means leave the guilty unpunished. Visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children and on the grandchildren to the third and fourth generations. God makes known to us his absolute commitment to punish sin and rebellion. He makes known to us, I'm just. There aren't going to be any wrongs committed that I'm not going to make right. Yes, God is gracious and compassionate and willing to forgive sin, but he's not a shopping mall Santa Claus that just waves away the naughtiness and says, come sit on my lap and let me give you whatever you want. God is no pushover. He is deeply just. 
He is committed to perfect justice. A righteous judge who sits on his bench and always, always makes sure that no wrong or injustice is left undealt with. So looking at these texts tells us four things about God. When God says, I don't want you to lift up my name to emptiness. I don't want you to attach who I am as I have revealed it through my name to emptiness. This is what he means. This is what he wants us to know about himself. God wants us to know that he is holy and utterly unique in his holiness and his excellence over all things and all the earth. There's nobody like him and no one to whom we can compare him that he will not utterly outshine as supremely glorious, supremely powerful, supremely awe-inspiring so that ever, whatever we might lift up beside him will in, pale in comparison to him just as the stars fade away when the sun makes itself known in all of its noonday brilliance. God, in all of his might and glory, also tells us that he cares about his people, that their distress moves his heart to compassion. His name tells us that he cannot long withstand the suffering of his people, but will move in history to bring them to salvation. His name tells us that he is our father, and we are his children. His name tells us that he loves us and will let no suffering pass except for that which will feed our eternal joy. God makes known to us in his name that he is gracious and compassionate, that he does not delight in keeping a record of sins, but in blotting out the stain of our sin with oceans of mercy and forgiveness. His name tells us that he does not delight in keeping his anger forever, but in unchanging love. And God's name reminds us that he is perfect in justice, that there will be no wrong committed, no sin or injustice that will not meet its end in the perfect justice of God. This is what he's made known to us, holy, caring, gracious, and just. Holy, Caring, gracious, and just. And God commands that if we are to take up his name, if we are to bear it in the things that we say, or to take on his name as a Christian, we are to take it up in the fullness of who he has revealed himself to be in reverence and awe. We dare not speak of God worship God, or take God's name upon ourselves in a way that is empty of his holiness, empty of his care, empty of his grace or his justice. So then, in light of those things, if that's who God is, and he tells us, you are not to take my name and lift it up to emptiness, What are some ways that we do that today? Number one, we lift up the name of the Lord to vanity when we live nominal, passionless Christian lives. We say 
that God is not uniquely glorious when we take his name upon ourselves but do not live with the passion that his glory should inspire. When we sing about the glories of God's grace and we do it with a heart unmoved by that glory, when we just say the words that are on the screen, we lift up his name to vanity. When we say that we worship a God who has supremely loved mankind and has sent his son to die for them, and yet we are so passive and passionless in bringing that message to those who need to hear it. We lift up his name to vanity. When we take on the name of Christian, but the passion of Christ is not in us, there is no desire to worship. When our souls are never stirred by the glory and majesty of God, we lift up his name to emptiness. Victor Hamilton says this, any invocation of God's presence, any calling on his name that is simply perfunctory is taking God's name in vain. That is, using the divine name for or in something that lacks vitality, reality, and substance. He quotes Elton Trueblood when he says, the worst blasphemy is not profanity, but lip service. When we can muddle through this Christian life with no passion, no energy, no awe, no reverence, no soul-stirring wonder at the majesty of God and claim to bear his name, we lift it up to vanity. Second, we lift up the name of the Lord to vanity when we complain. God has made known to us that he cares about the concern of his people. God promises us that he works everything, all things to the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. God says that the sufferings that we endure now are not even worthy to be be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. It says that momentary light affliction is producing for us. So in other words, it's not like the affliction is just something we have to ignore while we're waiting for the glory. God tells us that this momentary light affliction is producing. So the suffering God is using in our lives to produce in us an eternal weight of glory far beyond comparison. God has told us he loves us, he cares for us, he's using every circumstance in our life to make us happy for a billion years. And so when we take the circumstances of our life and in faithlessness complain about it, we lift up his name to vanity. We say he is not caring. We say he has allowed this into my life and it has no good end. It's not just when we say, oh my God, that we take the Lord's name in vain. But every word of faithless complaint that we offer as a Christian lifts up the Lord's name to vanity. As it denies what he has made known to us, that he is a good father who uses all things for our good. And will transform our light and momentary affliction into a weight of glory far beyond all compare. Thirdly, 
We lift up the name of the Lord to vanity when we are hard and unforgiving. When we allow our hearts to become like little blocks of cement because of what others have done to us. When we take a careless word spoken or a careless deed done and we hold on to it and again rehearsing it over and over and over again in our minds, drawing out those feelings of contempt and animosity whenever we think about it, we are lifting up the name of the Lord to vanity. When we take on the name Christ as a Christian, this Christ who suffered and died for the forgiveness of our sins, and yet we hold on to the small sins that others commit against us, we are lifting up, carrying, bearing his name to vanity. When we're hard and unforgiving, we lie about who God is. We carry his name unto falseness. When we bear the name of a God who in compassion and grace and loving kindness forgave us freely and fully of all sin. I mean, how can we, who have been released of a mountain of guilt, throttle each other over the small sins that we hold on to so readily? When we carry the name of Christ and yet are hard and unforgiving, we lift up his name to vanity. Fourthly, we lift up the name of the Lord to vanity when we walk casually and unrepentantly in ongoing sin. When we allow sin to be a part of our life, when we see things in our life that are abhorrent to a just God who has promised to punish all iniquity, when we take what God says, I will punish this and walk in it freely without expending effort to repent, we lift up his name to vanity. How can we walk casually in sin that God hates and claim to bear his name? God is holy, uniquely and supremely glorious. God cares for us and transforms every circumstance into an eternal weight of glory. He is gracious and He is just. And God tells us that He simply will not hold guiltless anyone who lifts up His name to vanity. Anybody who engages in these things, there will be a reckoning for them in the final day. God will not suffer his name to be lifted up to vanity, to be treated as empty of the worship his name deserves. And this third commandment, I think, holds all of us accountable to God and silences our mouth before him. under this third commandment that we should not lift up the name of the Lord our God to vanity, we all stand condemned. And yet, friends, we should not think that the ultimate revelation of God's name and who he is is a word of judgment. God has not given us his name to tell us and to make us feel guilty about how we have defiled it, but he has given us his name that we might cast ourselves upon it and be saved. 
Yes, the glory and the majesty of God's name leaves us all guilty, but God also tells us that whoever calls upon the name of the Lord, that same name that we have trampled so often, if we will call upon it and cast ourselves upon it, we will be saved. God has made his, himself known to his people in the Old Testament by his name, Yahweh, Jehovah, the uniquely glorious, powerful God over Egypt. But today, in our time, God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in many portions, in many ways, has made himself known to us in his Son. God has made himself known by giving us the name that is above every name, the name at which every knee in heaven and earth shall bow, the name of Jesus Christ. Everything that God is, holy, and caring, and gracious, and just, God makes known to us supremely and freely in Christ. And God calls us to look upon his name, not to judge and condemn ourselves, but to cast ourselves upon it that we might be saved. God in Christ has shown himself uniquely glorious by his power displayed in bringing Christ back from the dead. God has shown his name to be supremely concerned for our distress and that while we were helpless at the right time, Christ died for us. He's made it known in that God demonstrates his care and own love for us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. In Christ, he cares for us. In Christ, God has made known and shown himself gracious, forgiving toward our sin, and that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things have passed away and new things have come. All these things are from God who reconciled us to himself through Christ and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is that God in Christ was not counting our sins against us. He's shown himself to us in Christ to be gracious. And God has shown himself in Christ to be perfectly just, and that God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and as an offering for sin, he condemned sin in the flesh, so that the requirement of the law would be fulfilled in us. In Christ, God has made known. In the name of Jesus, he has shown us that he is holy, uniquely and supremely glorious. He has shown us that he is caring. He has shown us that he is gracious and that he is just. And we today can obey the commandment not to lift up the name of God to vanity when we draw near to God in reverence and worship and awe through Christ. Trusting that by the name of Jesus we come to know God in all of his unique glory and all of his care and all of his grace and all of his justice. So friends, let us not lift up the name of the Lord our God to vanity by treasuring Jesus by walking by his name and all that it entails. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you have made known to us in Christ that you are uniquely and supremely glorious, that you are caring and concerned about all the details of our lives, that you are gracious and willing to pardon, not part of our sin, but the whole, and that you are just fulfilling the requirement of the law through Christ's death on the cross. God, help us to draw near to you through Christ.
Let us not take upon the name of Jesus on ourselves in vanity. Let us not walk in passionless, ho-hum, riff-raff Christian living. God, let us not walk in complaining and fear and anxiety. God, let us not be hard and unforgiving. And let us not walk in unrepentant sin, but let us take upon the name of Christ in a way that gives full reverence and awe and worship to the worth of his name. God, we pray that you do this work in us by the power of your spirit and for your glory. Amen.